Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are worshiping with us here in the room or you are online, we're very glad you are worshiping with us. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor here, and it is Christmas. I hope that you feel I began to feel it really yesterday. Like it was just like there was just something about it. I mean, there was there was desserts being cooked and our adult daughters were coming home and it was just it was just it was Christmas yesterday and it got me excited about being here with you guys, got me excited for a Christmas Eve service. Again, Mark's going to give the details about that um, at the end of the service. But I just want to say, it's one of these things, it's going to be, it's so different, and we're having to do all these different kinds of things to be able to have a Christmas Eve service. We're doing it outside. The weather is totally, totally not cooperating. It is, it, the high that day is going to be 33, and, and it's just going to be epic. And, and I'm telling you, all that thing, like, uh, like you, you feel like you're going to come up with all these reasons to not do it. And if you're, you're either going to be there and you're going to be like, this was incredible. I'm so glad I was here. Or you're going to see clips or something from it and you're going to be like, I'm, I missed it. I mean, it, there's just going to be something very special about um, just going through all of this to just kind of making these changes and adjustments to make sure that we can still in a safe way worship and kind of launch into Christmas with our Christmas Eve service. So I just encourage you to be a part of that. For the last couple of weeks, kind of it's our third week, kind of doing, uh, we've been doing a series kind of going through the Christmas story, but really from kind of the story perspective, kind of looking at it in terms of kind of like a story that has, you know, a plot and a conflict and arc kind of to it. And, and we talked about the first part, we essentially is the setup which was two weeks ago, and in the setup of a story, the setup of a movie, you're kind of figuring out who the characters are, and you're kind of setting up kind of what, what you think's about to happen. And so we get introduced to Mary, and Mary is um, visited by an angel, and an angel comes to her and says, hey, God has chosen you, and he has chosen you because he's about to bring the Savior into the world. You're going to have this baby that's going to be given to you supernaturally, not in the normal way that babies are, are, are made, and, and he's going to bring hope and life to the world. And she's confused and nervous about that at first, but then ultimately she's like, God, you just do whatever you, you, you want. And she's so excited about it. What happens next is she immediately runs out to her cousin Elizabeth, and this, the angel told her, he's like, hey, your cousin Elizabeth is also having a baby, and, and, and her baby is going to be the prophet that that, that tells and kind of paves the way for Jesus. And, and so she goes immediately and, and to find out from Elizabeth, man, is this true? And she's like, oh, it's so true. And, and they have this awesome time together. And then Mary just kind of bursts out into song of just of praise of God. And so that's our setup. And then you think, now we've kind of been walking our way through the story. And then you have some, well, you, you, get, you get called by God and you're going to be the son of God's mom your brain, you think the story is going to go one way, but we come across a plot twist. And my plot twist, those are my favorite types of movies, stories, books, whatever. Like, they're just, they're just awesome. And um, I've, been, you know, I've, been, I've been, you know, referencing certain movies over the last couple of weeks, and I've tried, I don't want to spoil anything, but again, it's like a, at least a 20-year limit, right? So Sixth Sense is amazing, like you think you know what's happening there and you think you know, and then boom, like one of the best plot twists ever. The Usual Suspects, I've never seen it because it's R-rated and has bad language, but I've heard it's like one of the top 10 favorite movies of all time. I've, 
Of course I've seen it. It's great. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great movie. And again, you think, you think you know where it's going, and then suddenly there's this, there's this twist. And I think we don't expect plot twists in Bible stories. And I've been thinking about this this week. Why is it that, that plot twists kind of catch us off guard or we don't even notice them in a Bible story? I think about a couple of things. One is by and large, we don't really get the stories we're reading or we think about them too simply. If you were here with us a few weeks ago, we were talking through the story of Jacob. It kind of ends with Jacob and Esau coming to this kind of resolution. He'd, he'd, Jacob had done all these awful things to his brother, had to live in isolation for a while, comes back and is afraid that his brother's going to kill him, but his brother embraces him and loves him and forgives him. And the way that that story was told to me was like, oh, and everything was better now because Esau forgave Jacob, which is not really what happens in that story. The plot twist at the very end is Esau's like, man, come home with me. And Jacob says, yeah, it's going to take us a little bit because we've got, we've got, we've got animals and, and nursing moms. We'll be right behind you. And so Esau goes home. And, and Jacob goes the opposite direction, lies to his brother one last time, goes the opposite direction, never sees his brother again the end. You're like, why don't, I don't want it, that to be the way the story ends. And we, and we oversimplify it. And I think the other thing that keeps us from plot twists in the Bible is sometimes, sometimes the stories are just too familiar. And so it doesn't feel like a plot twist last week when I say, and so she's called by God to, to carry the king, the savior, the Messiah into the world. And then the baby is born in a barn and has to be placed in a, in a, in a, in a feed trough. That doesn't feel like a plot twist to you because it's like, well, I know that. I mean, it's, 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 it's a nativity. That's a nativity story. There's nothing unusual about that. Like, nothing unusual. It's only unusual. And it is, and it is birthed out of just her complete isolation that she has had as a part of her extended family because of the the suspicious circumstances around how is it that she's pregnant and she's not married yet. And so because of that, they are essentially forcing her to have this baby in a barn, and it's not as cute as your nativity scene. Okay, let's do that. Show of hands, who adds authentic smells to their nativity set? Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, you don't, it's not, it's, it, we polish it up. But it's, it's a huge plot twist, right? And so what we've, what we've gathered here so far through this story, kind of the main themes of this story so far are this. We talked about with Mary is that God chooses the lowly and the humble. God is bringing life to the world and God will do this in part through us. So he picks Mary. She is the most insignificant person in a really insignificant part of of the world. The, the town is significant, and as, a, as an unmarried young woman, she was insignificant in that society. He chooses this most insignificant person. And then what he says to her is, is, I'm going to use you because I'm going to bring hope and life to this world through my son, Jesus. And so this is what we have, and then she has this, again, this unexpected conflict which kind of leads us to the question, because this is what you expect, as your brain is trying to think through a story, especially a God story, a Bible story of some kind. So you've got, you've got the person that God has chosen. Something really bad happens, but in the end, the bad thing happens for a good reason. 
and the person is somehow now elevated. We, we talked about this a little bit last week with Cinderella. She, was, she, was, she, she gets chosen by the prince, but oh, oh no, but then it all works out, and now she's the princess. That's the way the story goes. And so, you know, she's chosen by God to have Jesus. Oh no, what's the payoff? What, what is it about this? What, what is it about how the way God resolves the story? Are we going to look and say, well, now I get it now. It's totally worth it. This is why Mary went through this. And so again, in the, in the story, we talk about the setup, the conflict, and here we are with the resolution. The resolution, the conclusion, how, how all of this is going to come together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom... His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So here's, here's is the last little part of the story. So what happens? We've got these shepherds, and it's the shepherds who are, we'll just call them the night shift shepherds. This is the overnight group of people who are watching the sheep. So it is highly likely that these guys were not the owners of the sheep, but were kind of lower level hired hands. Now, I remember about this. I'm, I'm a little bit triggered. It was actually 14 years ago. I was preaching on the story of the shepherds at a different church. And uh, my father-in-law was with me who, was, who spent his whole life essentially as a rancher. And I began to kind of, I was really overselling the idea of kind of how lowly and humble the shepherds were in their society. And he took offense and it was really kind of awkward there for a little bit. Um, and so I just want to make it, just add the clarification. I'm not speaking poorly against these shepherds, ranchers in general, or anybody who has done a hard manual labor. I'm just suggesting that in this society at this time, the people who are working with the animals at the overnight hour are some of the most insignificant, least important people in this society. So in the same way that Mary was an unmarried woman in an insignificant town, now we have these shepherds. These shepherds who are not, the, the, they are not people of high standing in this particular community. They are insignificant. They're, they're just insignificant, again, humble, lowly people. And so an angel comes to them and says, 
guess what? God is about to do something awesome. There's about to be this, there's a baby that has been born and you'll find him down in a stable and he's sitting there in the manger and, and that way you'll know that it's true. And of course they're a little nervous at first, but then they, they, they calm down when the angel talks to them. The angels leave and they immediately run to go check out and to see what has happened and see if it's real. And they go, and it's like, wow, this is it. And then they immediately respond by telling everybody and just kind of bursting out in worship and singing about how great God is. Now, we're at church, and I get it. If, if I had to go to church and, and listen to somebody talk nonstop for 30 minutes, I would struggle with attention as well. But if I were, if, have you heard me at any point today talk about a story that begins with an angel chooses a, holy, un, a, a, a lowly, unimportant person. They're a little bit nervous, but then God says, I'm about to do something incredible. We're about to send my son into this world. They immediately go run to find out if this is true, and then it ends up with them singing praises to God. No offense, no problem, no worries, but it was like eight minutes ago. And it's the story of Mary. This is the same story. We've just talked about this story. Insignificant person visited by an angel, told about that the, the Son of God is coming. They're a little bit astonished. They run to see if, if you, know, you run to Elizabeth. Hey, the, the God said you were pregnant too. Is that true? And this is... And I've got, yes, he told me about you, and it's true. And like, wow. And she starts to sing, and the shepherds are like, wait, is this true? And they run down, like, that, well, that's true. And, the, and then they start singing. It's the same story. And so in case I'm not being clear enough, let's, say, let's just make three quick points from this. One, God chooses the lowly and the humble. We're, we're back at the same spot. The night shift shepherds. God is bringing life to the world. Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Savior of the world is coming, and He's here. He's a baby. Go see Him. And God is going to do this in part through us. And again, we see it in the shepherds going all around that town saying, you will not believe what just happened to us. We saw these angels, and they told us this thing, and then there's this baby, and it says that everybody was astonished by this. And so we see the same story. We see the same pattern. And, but, but here's the deal. It seems like if, if this story is about Mary, I'm a little bit confused. Because Mary was an insignificant person, chosen by God to do something awesome, goes through this huge conflict so that what? She's not the princess now. She doesn't go, get to live in a castle. She's not being elevated in status in any way. Really, from the way that the world would look at just kind of her life, nothing about her life is different except now that she, I mean obviously she has a baby and that's a big deal I, would, I love moms everywhere okay but but her her status she is an insignificant person in an insignificant place who was not considered worthy enough by any of the people around her to have the birth anywhere other than a barn she has this baby she is still poor she's still insignificant 
She is a carpenter's wife and is going to live in relative obscurity for the next 30 years, watch her son die, and nothing. From, from just a snapshot of what it looks like in her life, it doesn't seem like that there was this huge, great payoff for her. This is not, this is not Cinderella. This is not the, the, the typical story of gets chosen for something epic, goes through conflict, and then suddenly has some great status elevation. At least not in the way that we think about it. And so as we think about what's the resolution for this, well, it seems like that the only reason that you can come up with for why she went through all this hardship and why she had to have this baby in the barn was so that the shepherds could come. Because if the baby is born in a palace, the shepherds don't come. If the baby is born in a, in a, in a, in a, in a high-class home, the shepherds aren't going to come to that. Probably wouldn't just come to anybody's home. But in an outdoor barn, hey, the shepherds are like, we can, we can go check this out. And so they run down to one of the very few places that they would have been welcome. And so the only thing that really seems to make sense of why Mary went through this is so that another insignificant person could find the hope and life that the baby Jesus is offering. It doesn't seem to have been about her at all. Which leads to this conclusion. Mary was never the main character in this story. And she was certainly the one, at least to this point, has gotten the most face time. She's definitely, got, she's definitely gotten the most camera time. She's definitely got the most lines in the script. Right? She is definitely, she's definitely the one that we see the most. But she's not the main character in the story. She's not who this story is about. And on the one hand, like, you think you're learning all this stuff about Mary, and that, well, that sounds like it's a really profound thing to say, but really it's not that profound thing to say. I mean, I think we intuitively know this, right? This is the Christmas story. Mary's not the main character in the Christmas story. She, she's the one who, it seems like a lot of things are happening to She's the one that, 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 that is being used. She's the one that's going through all the, the, the trouble. But honestly, again, if you think about it, her status doesn't change. Nothing about her changes except, again, again, I'm, it sounds like I'm minimizing it, but I promise it'll come around. She's a mom now. But again, your brain, your, your mind thinks God chooses for epic. You're about to be the, the mom of the king Therefore, but in her life, it just wasn't there. She's not elevated in any way. The only thing that we get as far as like, okay, what's going on with her then? Is verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Which buried in there is probably one of the most significant things that if we're going to try to identify ourselves at all with Mary, 
is one of the most significant verses in the entire story. God chose me for this awesome thing. I experienced hardships that you would never expect. And in the end, what I receive is a visit from other lowly, undeserving people praising God for this baby. And it leaves it a little vague, kind of what she's pondering, what she's treasuring. But I would imagine at least for a little, for at least for, at, at, at an initial point, and I'm sure it just continued to grow over time, she's, she's kind of putting the pieces together. Okay, God was with me the whole time, even in the worst times. He was setting this up. Obviously, this real, this thing that I've been going through is real because these angels, the angels came to these shepherds and now they're here praising God and telling the whole, the, the, the whole town about who Jesus is and about what God is about to do. And she's beginning to realize well, this thing that God did through me, this was incredibly significant. It was incredibly important. It may not have played out the way that I thought it would over the last nine months. And I may not be in the place now, now that I'm a mom of the, of the, of the son of God. I may not be where I thought I was. But I think she figures out on some level that she's not the main character in this story that's being told. She's thinking, this wasn't about me. Because Mary was never the main character in that story. Jesus is the main character in the story. She is exactly who she was before, except now she is in relationship with the Son of God and has been used by God to bring the hope that Jesus offers to a group of people that desperately needed a bit of hope. No telling what those shepherds thought about themselves, what they thought about God, what they thought about life, what they thought about their significance, what they thought about what God thought about them. <coughs> but God meets them and tells them that hope is now coming to the world. And because of what Mary did, Jesus is able to give them hope, even as a baby, because of what God is doing through him. They can now have hope. And Mary cherishes these things. And, 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 and just at the deepest level of her heart begins to understand. My life is not mine. I am not the main character in my story. Jesus, the Son of God, this baby is the main character in my story. And I now ask you the rhetorical preacher question. Do you believe that you are the main character in your story? God is crafting a really awesome story in your life. It's a beautiful story, actually. And it's a story that we've read it's a story we've identified at least twice in the Bible already in Luke 1 and in Luke 2. God looks at someone who in the big picture of the world 
is relatively insignificant. And he comes to you and he says, I want to bring hope and life to this world. And I want to do that through you. And at first you're a little bit disbelieving. Well, that just can't, that can't be. I'm, I'm, I'm not significant enough. What, 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 who, who am I? And then maybe you come to believe it. Okay, God does want something from me. God does want big things from me. God does want me to, 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 to serve him, to help him in some way. And then the unexpected happens. The plot twist in your life happens. The plot twist that revolves around money. The plot twist that revolves around relationships. That revolves around status. The plot twist that revolves around a pandemic. And the isolation that comes from that and the fear and the uncertainty and all of these things happen where it just seems like I thought God was with me. I thought God chose me. I thought God picked me. I thought I was one of God's favorites. I thought I mattered. And you find yourself in some way kind of shouting to nowhere, God, what happened? Where are you? Why did you do this? And I find myself overwhelmed by decisions that somebody else made, decisions that I made, or just, just the unfortunate circumstances. And I'm like, God, I thought, I, when you picked me, I thought this meant something great for me, but now I find myself here in this desert of some kind, isolated and hurt and broken and unsure and uncertain, and God is whispering back to you, you're not the main character in the story. And this, and this hurt and this, and this frustration that you're going through, it's not because it's not, it, this is not any sign that I'm not with you. In fact, it puts you on the same track and storyline with the greatest heroes of the Bible. And that at just the right moment, the payoff is going to come and it's going to be the same payoff that Mary got. It is the same payoff that I believe that I have gotten for every difficult circumstance that I've ever experienced in my life. Which is honestly the best I can figure. The main reason I go through the, the, the difficult trials and turmoils of life is so at just the right moment, when someone else needs hope, I can tell them that story. Hey, I've been there. I know what that's like. I have also been fired. I have also been betrayed. I have also thought I was going to get this great job and then I didn't. I have also been in a situation where I felt like I was humiliated by the circumstances that I'm in. I've also been in a place where I, I thought God was calling me to move to this other town, but instead... It, we, we move there and none of the circumstances work out and we still have this house and we still have all these things and, 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 and all of the fear and all of the uncertainty. I mean, I've, I've accumulated, I've, I don't want to say that I've accumulated a lot because there are a lot of people out there who've accumulated a lot. I've, I'll just say, I've accumulated plenty. And every time God has used it so that someone else can have hope in a dark time in their life because it was never really about me. It was about whether or not I was going to be the one 
to carry the hope that comes through Jesus that God is asking me to carry to someone else. And so that then the story can then continue to repeat, continue to repeat, where the hope God has given me can be given to you and that the hope that God has been given to you can be given to your friend and that your friend can give it to their family and their family can give it to their co-workers and those co-workers can give it to their family and then this hope and this life can spread amongst a lot of insignificant people doing something significant for the main character and the story of this world is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now one of the main objections that I just feel or I, or I hear from people when I say God wants to do something really awesome through you is some kind of self-critique, some sort of, well, I'm, I'm not important enough, I'm not significant enough, I'm not this enough. Whoever it is you think that you are, no matter how humble or lowly you think the situation you're and no matter how insignificant you think you are, that puts you in line with the story. This is who God is choosing. God is doing incredibly significant things through relatively insignificant people who will recognize I'm not the main character in the story. I'm a carrier of hope to a dark and hurting and broken world. And let me tell you, this world is in need of that. This world is in need of you. No matter how small you think you are, no matter how insignificant you think you are, you are a carrier of God's hope to the people around you. Let me pray.